What's up, danger? In honor of Across the Spider-Verse in theaters this week, what's your favorite food to have at a cookout? Uh, I'm Katie Richard. I'm going to do some listener service here. I make this one coleslaw from Spittin' Kitchen, and I keep thinking I'm going to change it up every summer, but uh, it's the best one, so I never do. It's called Not Your Mama's Coleslaw, if you want to Google it. Um, but if you are my children, it is, in fact, your mama's coleslaw. I'm at Patches. A lot of good things to make at a cookout, but I'm going to go into something with you, that you can buy prepackaged. I'm going to go with chips and a French onion dip. I love a French Please onion. Please French onion dip. No, you know what? No, any. I'm gonna I'm going to, with uh, hell of a good dip. You know, hell of a good. That's a brand. Mm, Googling it. Oh, it's, it's it's excellent. I think it's upstate New York, possibly origin. Anyway, hell of a good French onion dip. Not sponsoring the podcast. You're welcome to. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I'm going with Juicy Lucy. That is, of course, the uh, cheeseburger that has cheese inside of it, so it gets all melty. And uh, juicy. Don't know where the Lucy came from. I'm not from that part of the country. I'm David Ehrlich. You guys are all freaks. Uh, I'm just going to go with, <laughs> with, with a burger, like meat, and you put it on the Wait, grill. Dave, Dave said a burger. His just had cheese. No, but he did like a freaky burger with like some weird anti, anti-lactose intolerant propaganda. Like that's not Dave's fault. Yeah, just think of some meat. You put it in the bread, a little ketchup, maybe, on a plate. Wow. Paper plate. Flapping away in the breeze. Got a real Ron Swanson here. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 431. It is the week of Wednesday, May 31st. That is the day that in 1885, uh, Marty McFly traveled to the Old West. Uh, but also uh, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg of Battle Creek, Michigan, filed the application for the patent for flake cereal and process of making same. Didn't I bring him up? On a lightning round question, like a few weeks ago, about historical figures to make a movie about. Not only did that, did this not happen? Yeah, no, it did happen. But okay. you could tell as I was making the notes, uh, I'm hungry. <laughs> Isn't there? A, wasn't there a bunch of weird sex stuff around him? Wasn't he like yeah. trying not to and masturbate and inventing cereal or something? Yeah, you know? that's why I said you should make a movie about him. <laughs> like, not to some... masturbate in cereal? Is that what you just said? Did I miss you? <laughs> trying, or I... He like invented cereal because he was trying not to masturbate. I don't know. I think, that, I think David is actually... <laughs> the things yeah, you can yeah. do with your time when you uh, try not to masturbate, I'm sure, are endless. Are we pro uh, cornflakes? Like, is, oh, yeah. I, feel, I feel kind of neutral on cornflakes. Really? I, I like the crunch. Uh, I mean, frosted yeah. flakes, I'll go with... Yeah, I like oh, a frosted Tony flake Tiger better than Over the rooster thing that's on the... Like yeah, that. I bet Kellogg, I'm sure, thought sugar was sinful, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of the idea. Although they are like sweeter than they probably should be. There's got to be added sugar on those things. Well, it's... you know what? The good thing is he's dead, so he doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Put some sugar in the in the, the Kellogg John Harvey Kellogg. You can't well, yeah, stop I us. Think, I still think they should make a movie about him and his weird sex stuff and or whatever. Who would direct that? Was going on. Who could get? Making cereal and freaky sex relationship down pat. Who's 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 making that movie? I don't know, but I, mean, I feel like whenever I think of Kellogg, I just close my eyes and I see Jim Gaffigan's face. <laughs> mm. oh, 
<clears throat> I don't know how I can play him I in any scenario. I, I mean, I have no idea what Kellogg looked like. I'm assuming like a fucking rooster or a giant cornflake. <laughs> but uh, he probably was you know, the closest equivalent there is to a human cornflake. Uh, I will say they did do a drunk history on this with uh, Owen Wilson, it looks like. And okay. Luke Wilson. So um, oh, let's have them play Kellogg. Two Wilsons for the price of one is pretty good. Pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Uh, okay, welcome back, David. We're happy to have you in the country. Now you can tell us if we have any reviews. Uh, I don't know. I haven't listened to the previous episode. We, I mean, we do have reviews because it seems as if some reviews were left after <laughs> we recorded the last episode, but Good I don't know which one you read. Uh, well, Listen, what's a this week is not ago a preparation podcast. Uh, did you read? <laughs> what's after read, the 24th? Anything after Did you read Lovely Podcast? Mm-hmm. Yes, that we do. Like a very I, generic I, subject line. I'm not sure that's gonna. Something about John Wick. Seeing John Wick four in Carolina. Did you read that? Oh yeah, we yes. did. We did. Yeah, okay, we did you didn't listen one. to last week's okay. podcast. What? Come on, I thought you were a hashtag was... fan. <laughs> this is uh, no. I'm here hashtag for the critics. critics. Am I right? Um, mm. We do have a review from Big Tall Drew. Well, brag. Who uh, <laughs> says still my favorite podcast? Hello, all. I've been listening to. I've been listening since the twice. Sorry, I'm a little rusty. Take it back. Uh, <laughs> still my favorite podcast. Hello, all. I've been listening since the 2012 Opkino Top 10s episode as a referral during an episode of the Film Experience podcast. After these wow. many years, uh-huh. I've grown to love. I've grown to love and appreciate each of you as important people in my social media and entertainment film review landscapes. Your pop culture opinions, particularly about film, have challenged me, excited me, and entertained me. You keep me motivated to look for different perspectives and nuances well beyond the echo chamber of my. Twitter or letterboxed feeds on a slightly put a little apostrophe in letterboxed, which is nice uh, on a yeah, slightly more personal. One. Yeah. On a slightly more personal note, whether it was just growing up as a millennial in his twenties, navigating the waters of that awkward post-college time, the long days of the pandemic or helping keep my spirits up when my husband had a sudden and lengthy hospital stay in 2021. Cool. Sorry to hear that. You've been a lovely constant to have in my feed weekly or to revisit on occasion to Love to re-listen to the top 10 episodes. Keep up the great work on both the show and your other endeavors. Sincerely, Drew the Cinegiant, a longtime fan. Thank you so much, Drew. I hope that your husband, I, I'm, I hope that your husband, judging by the wording, I want to assume that your husband is doing a lot better uh, and is no longer in the hospital as well. Uh, I hope that's certainly the case. Yeah. That was delightful. We also have an email. Uh, Ooh. David, you should definitely listen to last week's email section if you skip the rest of the podcast, because they've been mm-hmm. coming through with the emails. This one's from Sarah. It's titled, I Got Married in Logan Roy's Apartment. Whoa! Oh, wow. <clears throat> Hello, fellow movie and pop culture fans. Writing an email since I'm an Android user, which means I mess up the color of group texts and don't use iTunes, <laughs> thus can't leave a review. Apparently, the former really irks iPhone users, so while I'll never it apologize really for not using an iPhone... I'll at least acknowledge the pain. If I did have iTunes, however, it'd be five stars for all the personal and algorithmical reasons. I lied in the subject line. I had my wedding reception in the location that Succession uses for interior shots of Logan Roy's apartment. I was married in a church a couple blocks away. Close enough. It's been fun to watch over the seasons anytime they're in his apartment to identify key scenes from my wedding day. In season four, episode four, the kids are discussing what to do next in the room where we had our first dance. Logan is yelling at the kids about outbidding him for another company where my family from Virginia ate dinner. On and on it goes. As a little insider info, as a little insider info, it's not a penthouse in the sky, but the first two floors of a very large house on Park Ave. 
So still fancy, but not wow. Roy caliber fancy. I share because very few people in my real life watch Succession, so when I tell them, they're only mildly interested. So I turn to you, my podcast friends. You might be slightly more interested than they are. Thank you for letting us listen in to your weekly conversations, Sarah. I think we're getting I'm to very this topic impressed. later on the podcast. Is that, is that right? Did I read the, the, A succession? Read the notes correctly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll be talking yeah, about not, not Logan Roy's apartment specifically, no. although there is a good scene in Logan Roy's apartment in the succession finale. Uh, I hope that the bad vibes of Logan Roy don't affect your wedding. That's my only concern here. It, it sounds seems like, like a beautiful venue. They did it before. So it's like a, it's a big, like, not uh, haunting it. Right. Otherwise, it'd be like, I do. Fuck off. You know, yeah, pig yeah. fuck. Oh, wait, that's for yeah, the master. That's, Sorry. I mean, I would love to have gotten married in the apartment from the master. That would be a really, real <laughs> thing. On the boat from, the, the, boat master. from the master? That sounds sure, great. No, I like the apartment because it's like, what Dave, what's David doing? Well, he's walking to the walls and he's walking to the window and he's walking. <laughs> well, to the wall that, that was not an apartment. That was in a house. Those were his uh, That's a different scene. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, you can leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app uh, if you're in America and give us five stars. We'll read it on the podcast. We'll read it on the podcast probably anyway, but we love those five star reviews. Helps us get in front of the new people. Internationally, we would love it if you left it in your podcast app, wherever that may be. But make sure if you want us to read it to email a copy of your review or your Android user thoughts to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com been great hearing from you excellent energy okay for for the last few weeks been talking about maybe dipping in to the the new video game the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom uh, David went away, so we didn't want to do it without him, because I knew he would clock time, even while in France, even while mainlining <laughs> international films. I knew he'd make time for this I mean, uh, I, major, major, major game. Um, every year, as a little joke to myself, I bring something with me <laughs> to these film festivals, like a book or running shoes, and something else that will go comically unused in the bottom of my suitcase. And this year, it was inevitably my Nintendo Switch loaded with Tears of the Kingdom. And I was actually very proud of myself that I managed to play it for like two hours on the plane there during takeoff, especially, yeah. which was very calming. And then, like, I think I clocked like a total of 45 minutes over the course of my 12 days in Cannes and then played it a bunch on the way home. Well, Thanks I know job. that you have been good. playing a little bit because I saw on Instagram that your son is downhill, like falling to death or whatever. Um, <laughs> he, he loves he, he loves I mean, yeah, he loves watching me fall to my death, uh, which I've done many, many times in this new game. But um, I know as well that Dave, as in usual childless uh, mode, clocked hundreds of hours already in in Tears of the Kingdom. This <laughs> Not game came quite out there. only I'm three somewhere weeks between, ago. Weeks ago? Somewhere between 70 and 80. But okay. yeah, yeah. Oh this is Not that you're big, jealous or anything. This, I, I'm a little jealous, but it's also, and we'll get into this a little bit, like a great game for me to play with my small child because I feel like the puzzles are for children and the game is for adults and it can bring everyone together. This is the, the sequel to... Wow. Zelda the puzzles Breath are for children. Uh, I never has a stray comment made me feel dumber. <laughs> Blue the as, boards together, David. As um, as someone with uh, with major spatial relations issues, this game has oh been boy. a fucking yeah. You nightmare. need to know a lot about the x axis and the y axis in this game. I was not prepared as well. Um, 
boy. This is, the, this is the sequel to Breath of the Wild, the game we've been trying to cajole Katie into buying for her children because that came out in what 2017. It's massive. It reinvented the Zelda franchise. It created this open world you can do anything in, and I think everyone imagined that was that was like the most you could do in this kind of game. That like traversing this map and interacting with everything would be the limit. Um, and then Tears of the Kingdom came out. And we realized we were we were wrong. Like um, <laughs> there's the map, and then there was the expanded map. Here's the kingdom goes to the sky. It goes to the depths, the caves underneath the map that we thought we knew. Plus this added layer. If you have not played this game, I think this is going to be complicated to describe. But uh, basically, if if Breath of the Wild was all about you can scale every mountain, you can walk every mile in this virtual map. This game is you can destroy anything, you can rebuild anything everything is malleable everything is about solving puzzles with the resources around you everything it's kind of like fortnite where you can build all sorts of constructs it's minecraft it's it's every type of game kind of rolling into one it, there's so much to talk about with the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom many 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 people have spent hours already talking about it i was trying to figure out like what would be the way in for us to talk about this but like i guess in our condensed Can I ask a question, here. actually? Oh, Can wait, I'm about to pivot to my okay, point. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, Get, I'm sorry. Ask I'm sorry. a question in a second. I, I want to ask Dave and, and David, who have clocked many hours as well in this, like, is this is this the answer? You know, there was a big stink when Roger Ebert was still alive where he was saying, games are not art. They're not like movies. This is not oh art. My God. Not, and uh, we're not going to crack that open totally. But Take like, me back in the time machine to, like, 2006. But isn't, so whenever, but isn't that, like, that seems like the point, right? Like, this is the opposite of cinema in every way and that is why it's good right tears of the kingdom is the ultimate game it can this what the joy of this game cannot be replicated in any other medium i think that is why here's the, the joy the joy of fucking holding the r trigger and spinning a fan in 73 different directions to find <laughs> unless out unless you have just no uh, x y and z access in your brain in which case pure pleasure totally lost yeah it's terror but what do you all make of this experience? Uh, it's it's so big, and I have I'm so not that far into it, even having played hours and hours of it. Um, I feel like I could be playing it for the next two years. Uh, there's just so much to to do if I want to do that. Um, but that seems to be the promise it makes: unlimited possibilities. And I've never really I mean, with something I, like that before. One of the defects I've had to come, one of the many defects that I've had to sort of come to grips with about myself is uh, that I, I think part of the reason I'm drawn towards movies, which are finite experiences that are told through a certain rubric, are, is that like I, I, I like the stricture of it. I like, um, I like the inflexibility. Uh, I like the idea that someone has crafted something and I'm guided through it and have to grapple with it on my terms. Uh, Why you like I The struggle. Last of Us. Probably. Sure. I mean, it's also why I'm like one of like seven video game players who didn't really have a problem with Final Fantasy 13. It's a deep cut reference uh, for people who, you know, have really taken sides on the debate as to whether or not Final Fantasy 13 was too linear. But I um, when it comes to video games, I, I tend to prefer st the experiences that are, you know, I, I love to grind. I love playing the RPGs and whatnot, but like, you know, with a certain degree of parameters, you know, when it goes to like the Baldur's Gate type things or certainly Minecraft or anything where it's like a lot more open ended. Um, I tend to 
be a little bit overwhelmed by the choice and just want to try to find the most like uh, effective route to the game. Well, you were saying um, playing something... Jedi Survivor earlier this year, yeah. you were like, I got to get to that 100%. My br- brain worms are activating me. I must unlock everything just because you can get to 100%. And this is a game yeah, but it was where a, it's hard to imagine the, ever like the rewards in that game. Yes, but I, you know, like something like Elden Ring was the perfect middle ground for me because it was open and expansive and I love that overwhelming feeling that you get when you fire up it's here's the kingdom. Uh, but it also felt like, um, you know, you didn't have to reinvent the wheel just to do like, you know, the, the, like the go on Twitch and play around with the various, you know, Zelda has been out for like 12 hours and people are already crucifying the Koroks and all that shit. Like, it's funny to watch, but it's not something that appeals to me as a player. So like that element of Zelda, the customization element of it. what that means to Katie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, I have no idea. Crucifying uh, the Maybe Koroks. I'll discover it for myself. Never gets unpacked. <laughs> it's, it's Am I supposed to play this with my children? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have it's to Mel crucify the Koroks. That's not part of a mission. There's no... Uh, <laughs> Screaming in uh, in in ancient Hyrulean and yeah, it's terrible. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like that part doesn't appeal to me. Um, I'm a little overwhelmed, just like getting into it, trying to figure out like the where to go, which is not an unpleasant feeling entirely. But like you either start and you can go to one of four different places on the map, and I'm sort of picking one at random and going towards it. And then I get there and I realize that I need to have 900 rupees to buy the fire resistant armor that you need to go in the caves. So now I'm just like fucking around trying to find five, 900 armies, uh, 900 rupees rather. And in that time, I have discovered all these various towers and temples and caves, the things that killed me. Um, and that's fun in a From Software kind of way. But I, I will say that uh, I, I'm sort of disregarding Patch's question because it was ridiculous to me. Uh, that whole Ebert art games art thing had always sort of made my ears bleed, but um, I mean it, it does it makes my ears bleed. But I'm and I'm I certainly don't it's I like don't know why so beyond this, that conversation, right? I don't know why this game of all the games, you know, as as uh, compelling as it is, as as uh, vast and and occasionally fun as it is, um, and the mechanics are kind of brilliant. Um, occasionally you know, I don't fun. Know, I mean, I I'm, I would disagree with what, that. What I was going to say was that like it, I'm getting drawn deeper into it every time I play, which is a sign of a great open world game. Um, I'm still in that early stage where everything I discover feels kind of new and mysterious, and that feeling can can evaporate the further you go into an open world game. I'm hoping that it lasts in this case, judging by other people's experience. And this is what we're gonna pass pass it over to Dave in a minute and hear from. Um, I'm guessing that's the case. I mean, I haven't gone anywhere close to exploring what's under the castle in Hyrule, let alone, you know, above it and, and so on. But um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a good time. Um, I, I think it is a very, Nintendo and the people who make these Zelda games in particular are so, so smart at finding lo-fi ways of feeling revolutionary within the span of hardware and even within their own software and even in the iterations, one game to their sequel. Um, the things that this does within the same map as the previous Zelda, expanding that map above, below, but also just the dynamic changes it makes, even if they infuriate someone who's stuck with my faulty brain in playing with uh, the various mechanics that they give Link. Um, and even if they have not found a particularly fluid way to navigate between those mechanics, let alone strap a fucking lizard eyeball onto your arrow it's like going through two menus to do it and it always feels really counterintuitive to me um <laughs> anyway One menu. One menu. Uh, um i it is a lot of fun i am really curious to see what's going to happen 
when, if and when I summon the courage to spend seventy five fucking dollars on Diablo Four, which is like a pure. Wait, you're pivoting off this topic. Stop it, Dan. You talk about Hang Zelda. No, Get no, away from Diablo. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> literally making. Uh, I am curious what's going to happen when like the ultimate sort of lizard brain game experience comes out in a couple days and it's just about like listening to a podcast, turning your brain off and like smashing those buttons. Um, it's going to be a real, this is that game. This is that game. It's not Diablo. It's this game. You You need 150 pieces of Amber to upgrade an armor set. What are you going to do besides listening to a podcast and running around in all the caves? You're not at that part of this. But You're not I at mean, that part of this game In yet. the dialectic and like what kind of video game I'm most interested to now in my dotage, it's going to be a really interesting case study because you're going to have, like, what in my mind are two very different games because maybe Zelda becomes the game you're talking about later on. But for now, not that it's like a, you know, there are these moments where you, you get stuck I, in the, um, in the, in the temples. But uh, I'm not quite at the grinding part yet, even though I am trying to raise the money to buy the fire-resistant <laughs> armor. I'm still just like flying around. Fair, fair enough. Before I make my comments, because well, I'm a bit deeper life. in the game than everybody else, I want to hear what Katie's question from the beginning was. Oh, yeah, sorry, I'd Katie. like to answer it for her. Oh, it's very simple. Uh, so if I'm going to get a Zelda game, which I think I, I'm asking for a Zelda game for my birthday. What a world I've stepped into. Do I have to start with the last one or should I start with this one? I have a plot. Oh. You, you miss out the details of the plot. <laughs> Yeah, you not you not mention a word about Dan, plot at all. Dan is, is doing plot. stuff. There is a, there's be, a better plot in this game, I would argue. But I, well, let Dave answer this question. What do you think, Dave? You've clocked the most time in both of those games. Yeah, I'd start with the first game um, because okay. part of the joy that I found uh, in Tears of the Kingdom is you'll happen across areas that are familiar. Um, in the first game, there's a quest where you get to build a house uh, if you do that in the second game that house will be there and it'll have some information a much more practical reason to play the previous game first is that if i think if you haven't played breath of the wild there's a good chance you will never get off the fucking tutorial island in tears of the kingdom which took me like two weeks to figure out how to to, uh you know find the fucking uh, snow temple the first game has the first game has a tutorial as well i'm just saying but it's uh, the first game tutorial is very comforting and nice this one is just like you're thrown out into the wild. Fuck you. Yeah, well the first game Cry children. The first game is really interesting because after the tutorial it'll show you where the final boss is. So if you want, you could just run and finish the game with that. Uh the second game has a few more uh hoops to jump through. So I think the first game, uh, as Patches was saying, you could go anywhere, you could climb anything. I think that's a really fun experience. Mm-hmm. Would I get as deep into the first game as I did uh, initially? No, because there's like a shrine you have to open by standing on it when there's a f- naked during a blood moon, which is all terms that'll make sense to you when you're playing the game. But it's like, I got very, very close to 100%ing the previous game, but fell short with getting all the collectible Korok seeds because there's 900 in the first game. My understanding is there's a mm. thousand in this game. The so, shame has haunted you for years. I mean, I don't it, think I'm a- likely to care about there that. There are a thousand Korok seeds. There are a thousand I just went in. <laughs> I'm really proud of myself. Every time I get one, I feel like because I'm like finding them hidden in trees and shit, and I'm like, wow, I'm really crushing this game. You have to lift I mean, up every stone to find the Korok seeds. That's yeah. that's the beauty, I think, of both of these games is they're fun worlds to hang out in. Yes. Um, and uh, 
the second one is just incredibly more complex. So, like, uh, in the previous game, you had a set of skills that you could use with your little switch in the game called the Sheikah Slate that, like, lets you make ice or uh, produce bombs, and it basically, like, gives you items. In this game, it has all been replaced with skills that I would describe as light cheating. Like, they feel <laughs> like cheating when you're using them. There's this one skill, especially uh, towards the end game, that seems ridiculous that it's in, but it's called Ascend, which is like if there's a roof above you, you could just boop through it. So you could go deep into a cave and you could spend an hour trying to figure out a cave and then you finally get there. And in the first game, it would have been like, well, time to walk back out of that cave. In this one, it's like, boop, you just right, go up to the top of the mountain above the cave. Uh, and that's also been helping me in shrines and stuff because it's like, oh, look, a floating platform, boop, and I'm done. So stuff like that is great. I think the story is better in the second one. Um, uh, but the story in the second one is also very complex. It has a couple of different routes and uh, more dungeons than I was expecting, uh, like traditional Zelda dungeons. Okay, um, I've played this game for 10 hours, and so far the story is there's red <laughs> shit coming out of a castle, and it's bad. That's the whole story. And that is also the story of this game. I'm honestly not worried about it being about. overly complicated, because I think not. exploring a world sounds good. It's more like, is it rewarding to yeah. have the experience of the first game, and it sounds like it really is. I think it is, and, and when, Dave, you described this new game as overly complex, I was afraid of that. Like, I, I to David's point, you start out on this island, and you're just like, it can be overwhelming. Like, where do I go? What do I do? There's so much possibility here, but they handhold so like they do a very, very good job of showing you what these skills do. And they have built a world where you can either invent your own modes of transportation around this giant map or break everything. I don't think the game is breakable. Like it, it was this new game was built with the original in mind with breath of the wild in mind and all the ways that speedrunners and glitch finders like broke that game they they built that into this like everything is actually malleable and possible here and you can go to town or you don't have to you don't you can do the simple version of the game you can just bounce around the, the map with with the when shrine do I find the, transports the, the thing like, that allows me to like instantly build things that i've already built Where you have to go scale? down you have to uh, go down into the depths from <laughs> uh, a uh, quest a quest that is uh, supplied in, in Lookout Landing by Robbie, the guy, the little short guy with the googly glasses. If any I of those... The, yeah, sounds like it's not going to happen for me for a while. <laughs> I mean, you could do it immediately if you're on the ground, and uh, there's stuff like... Plus, once you unlock that, Robbie will unlock more slate abilities, like a sensor you could use to track things, and a way I you did could... Just, I did just find the first, like, floaty platform that has yeah. all the various fans on it and batteries and I could drive around with a little steering wheel that I could fly around through the sky. So fun. I mean, that's the, that the Katie, to your point, like it can sound really overwhelming because there's a million places to go and a million things that they built into the game to do. But at the end of the day, the, the achievement of Tears of the Kingdom, and I think Breath of the Wild as well, is that like, you can just butts around. You can go walk mm -hmm. around and you'll run into something yeah. new and you'll just do that and you won't feel... You know, I was playing Super Mario Brothers, the original NES version, with my five-year-old the other day. And it's frustrating because there's only one level, and you just run forward, and you either do it or you fail. You win or you fail. And that's how games used to be for a really long time, and you can understand this is to bring it all the way back to the thing that David did not think was important, but, like, this kind of pointless 
Ebert argument about whether video games are art or not. Like, I can understand why you would come to that conclusion if it was win or fail and win or fail and you're futzing around. But an this arcade. is hardly this the point, first like, like open world game. Uh, it's, I just, I'm missing the part not, where you make an argument the, why this is different from I think this is the different. other versions. I think Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are, are different to me because like it's it's not just open world. You know, I played I have played Skyrim three, four times maybe with my wife. My Brag. wife is obsessed with Skyrim. Yeah, we're in a loving relationship. We play Skyrim. Um, <laughs> and and like you, there is a path there. You feel like you're on rails no matter where you go in the map. There's the missions. They're nudging you towards the conclusion of the game. You could grind and grind and get different weapons or whatever, but it's like you're still on the rails. I think Tears of the Kingdom is one of the first times where I felt like I'm just not on rails. I could dip into this game to just build machinery and play around and be in the sandbox for a while and accomplish accomplish in quotes nothing and i would still have a lot of fun and it is an interesting game that way where i feel like there's just endless amounts of things to do and in two years when i maybe finish the game again in quotes i could play again and have a totally different experience it feels like yeah it feels like a living game it feels like a Fortnite where you just play 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 whatever do different things every single time you play except it's narrative except it's been built and it just it the rails have disappeared for me i don't I feel like I can do anything and, and break everything, but it's still designed that way. It's, it's, that's the well, amazing yeah, this, thrill. This game may be for children for Patch's uh, you know, <laughs> designation. My, but my daughter's just great at like, people. build the bridge, Dad. I'm like, you're right. It, I, it I, I was missing this. It is certainly not for people who have children. Uh, because unless they're bonding <laughs> with their children while playing it for like 30 minutes a night, which is one thing, and I highly recommend. But beyond that, uh, you know, I see like screen grabs of people I know playing Zelda on Instagram and whatnot, and they have like 25 hearts, uh, which Katie, let me tell you, that is not something that, that comes quickly. Sounds like a lot um, of hearts. I only have one. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I've got six, and I put in like 10 hours of Zelda. Uh, you do start with three, so Katie, you've already dropped two. You better go eat a baked apple or something and get those missing hearts back. But uh, the, um, yeah, it, it, is, it is really a time suck. Um, but fortunately, I'm going to be home with a baby for the next month. So who knows? Maybe oh. I can make some progress. I'll say some final comments. I want to split them into two categories. One, if you haven't played this game and what we were talking about sounds interesting, but you're like, what kind of goddamn game is it? I The second day, I was wandering around going to what I thought was where I was supposed to go. <clears throat> I wandered into a town. I got sucked up into a mayoral election for three hours, and I got a really fancy hat as a reward after the election was held. It was very engrossing, and I got to meet all these characters in the town, make allies, make enemies. So it became like a weird social experience in this like medieval fighting game. If you have started playing Tears of the Kingdom and have realized how weirdly nonlinear it is, before you start trying to get to the end game, I suggest you have two full wheels of stamina and ten hearts. Those will be required in order to get through certain parts wow. of the plot. And it's very frustrating to have to backtrack if you hit one of those gates and don't have the requirement. So that's my um, oh, my only advice ten to hearts, playing. Dave. I, I would imagine you have many more hearts than that. Oh, I do. I'm just saying, at minimum, you're going to need ten hearts, or you're not going to be able to progress all the way. I just today unlocked the destroy Ganon quest, which I understand is the last quest. So I'm I'm on my way to finishing the story, but then after that, I have to go mop up. Do you have any? Uh, say, uh, do you have any fusion recommendations, Dave? For <laughs> for for 
for my weaponry because they, Katie, yeah, you, yeah. You, you make all your own weapons in this game. You fuse them together out of objects in the game, and they, they and they fight. break like almost instantly. Break quickly, yeah. Go go <laughs> in the depths. There are uncorrupted weapons in the depths being held by shadow statues, and then fuse whatever that is to a Gibdo bone, uh, which has insanely high damage, and they're very easy to get in the desert region. Uh, Burrito uh, Desert. Great. I'll, I'll I'll make a note. I can't yeah. believe how middle age just turned us into a video game podcast. I did not see. This is the future. It's these damn phone games, and then there's a good Nintendo game. Like, God damn it! We'll find <laughs> out if the narrative's important when the Legend of Zelda movie is inevitably announced at the end of this year. Uh, then we'll figure. You think out it's going to take that long? To, I think that's when they will announce it. I think they're working on it now because Mario really? did this and the game did this. Why yeah. wouldn't they? I mean, that, that, that one-two punch seems pretty strong. Yeah, it's going to be another blue sky. It's going to be basic as fuck, but we'll get to hear Link talk, so it's been a long time coming. Did I tell you guys that we bought the Mario movie? We now own it. Oh, so many times. So many. Wahoo! <laughs> I'm L to the R to the end game. My will is to make it to the end game. Just chill, cause you could be offending. These ladies I'm defending. Hey. I was raised by the Kokiri, but I'm actually a helium. Uh. Rupees by the million. Shirt green chameleon. Suck these Deku nuts. I got spiritual stones. Used to be a runt. But now I'm full grown. I'm always a hero of time, and I always get mine, cause I'm always. Alright, I have another question that is useful to me and maybe to other people. Um, and been on a crowdsource this one. And then it's once again about my older son charlie who was reading a lot of chapter books he started oh. reading the hardy boys Ooh. and i original hardy boys? hardy boys so he do you know how many versions of hardy boys there are if you go to the hardy boys wikipedia your head will spin it is incredibly detailed um there have been so many like reboots and revamps apparently they i'm gonna get this line right from the wikipedia page um, the, uh, from 1959 to 1973, the first 38 books were extensively revised, largely due to removed depictions of racial stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing the ones in the 60s maybe now wouldn't hold muster. Um, the one he's reading now seems to be at least from like post 2000. So like there are many versions that have come out. Um, Do you know they, the number and or title of the one he's no, reading? No, I should have had it handy. Now but the Hardy I did Boys are going to ska is, shows and uh, uh they literally are skydiving in the beginning of this oh, one. Wow. And I think they're like it's Ooh. like a secret agent vibe about it. But I like I want recommendations for a Hardy Boys books series because there's recommendations so many of them. for Hardy Boys books? Or Who just do, like or a, or a kid mystery book. Like, is there a particular Hardy Bo Hardy Boys mystery that you remember? That ooh, feels ooh. important. Do you think okay, because like, we're somebody toys, else, I gotta go. To the, I gotta go to the bookshelf. Red. I literally or, have a collection of Hardy Boys. Oh, okay, wow. uh, okay, Dave, I, I'm gonna let you be back, back while I scold. Yeah. yeah, you come right back. Uh, when I made the, uh, when or are there I, other when I got like defensive, mystery? I didn't realize Dave was all in on Hardy Boys. Shit. <laughs> 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 uh, I or are there other like kid mysteries that you remember? Like I remember Encyclopedia Brown. Oh, well, I've been trying to like get those into the mix. Uh I read a couple of Nancy Drews. I picked up a Nancy Drew. We're going to see if that one. We, I picked up a Bobsy Twins off of like a book giveaway shelf. I have not. I don't know when that one's going to get read, but I'm kind of glad to see the Bobsy Twins are still around. trying to remember. There's a book series that I read when I was a kid called Emily Eyefinger. Do you? Ooh, is, are you aware no. of these books? No. Uh, here's, here's the pitch. Emily is a girl. She has an eye on the end of her finger. Uh-huh. I don't remember anything. I thought well, I well think titled. she solves. I think she solves mysteries. I want to say, what else would she do with her 
Yeah, the Emily Eifinger in The Lost Treasure, Emily Eifinger in The Balloon Bandits. Uh, okay, that sounds like she's that sounds like somebody solving mysteries, mysteries yeah. or Indiana Jones adjacent. So yeah, oh, I would, yeah. Indiana Emily Eifinger cool. is a bit of a twist. Um, I recently went to our local library to find Encyclopedia Brown, and we do not stock it. So I, I don't know if Encyclopedia oh, really? is canceled or not, but um, he's he's dead. Uh, Dave's back. Dave's got some Hardy Boys. I'm back. Uh, So my absolute favorite uh, Hardy Boys book is actually not a story, but it's this book called The Detective Handbook, which is about uh, doing like, I mean, it it has some stories in it. It has the Hardy Boys in it, but it's mostly like teaching kids to like pull up fingerprint with scotch tape and stuff like that. (laughs) So it was like very interactive. Holding this book up and good. Obviously listeners Uh cannot see, but it looks like a fake venture brothers cover or something. I'm I'm realizing I had forgotten that Dave had an excessive. I knew this at some point that you had this. I'm so glad. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, these are my two favorite books about the Hardy boys confronting smugglers. Uh, number 16, a figure in hiding and number 14, the hidden Harbor mystery. Okay. Even for me, I was like, these were foreign ideas. Like, I th- this is how I learned about what smuggling was. I so, think I also learned about smuggling from like a Nancy Drew or something like that. That sounds about right. Did the box uh, the children two- solve mysteries at any point? Where the box? Uh, they were just, well, they, there was a mystery version. I think or, they there was like a mystery book in the first twelve. Oh yeah, they were just. It was more like a. I mean, it was more like a club later on. So this uh, was Hidden Harbor yeah. Mysteries. That's this is number fourteen. Like this was published in nineteen thirty-five. This is yeah, old I school have, Hardy Boys. Oh yeah, I have like the sixty-five uh, printings. They were all okay. printed with these blue covers. Uh, I was able to track down two Encyclopedia Browns. Uh, and ironically, you one was called Encyclopedia Brown tracks them down. Live in a children's <laughs> library. What is this? <laughs> I I like collecting the children's books that I read there. as a child. That is, mm-hmm. that is like I have acceptable. some Babysitter's Club books. The other one I got is Encyclopedia Brown Finds the Clues, which has uh, him playing Matador with his dog that he has uh, tied knives to, which I think is uh, just a great image. <laughs> he tied knives to his dog? Yeah, like the knives are tied to his dog's head to be horns. Um, but outside of that, Katie... Yeah. The My Teacher is an Alien books by Bruce Cohen. Oh, oh, yeah. I feel like we've talked about, we've talked about these. Yeah. I love all of them, though, but the best one is My Teacher Flunked the Planet, uh, which sort of gets into the latent collective unconscious of all human life uh, in a very <laughs> child-friendly way. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, I don't have them out because Java maybe put them away after I finished rereading them, but any of the Goosebumps books, the original yeah. Goosebumps books. I've been thinking about Goosebumps. I don't know if we're t- totally at goosebumps yet but we're gonna be we're close goosebumps get sillier as it goes on i so envy like, dave's free time at least once an episode but this episode in particular <laughs> there's just between his 70 hours of zelda the fact that he recently reread i believe all of the goosebumps <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean you're really just pouring salt in the wound i mean they were point. just sitting there uh yeah uh, uh I I mostly engage with them now as a collector but if you guys if you guys need recommendations for your your little boys what about Harry uh, the Spy is that a I like Harry the Spy that I think is oh well, maybe cool. maybe Charlie's ready for it I think I'd be yeah. I do like a smidge I think Harry older. the Spy is probably right also um, Harry the Spy is great but it will motivate your children to watch you and write in a notebook everything that you're doing and maybe mm. that's something you don't want to uh I have nothing pass to, hide. to them. Okay. Completely sure. completely flawless. Mm. 
Um, I'm so glad I asked Dave. I would love to hear listener recommendations for other like kid mysteries because I do feel like mysteries is like the best way to get oh. someone to ad- like addict someone to reading because you just got to keep finding out what happens next. And, and then, of course, we have to get people off reading and into movies. Reading mm-hmm. losers. What about a Nola mm-hmm. and video Didn't games? That start as a uh, oh, did book it series and then come to the mo- the Netflix movies? Maybe Nola Holmes is a. I never read those I'm books. Gonna... So probably after all of our time. Oh, there's there's many of them. Six book box set. Maybe well then. Buy it. Shopping on the podcast. Riveting. AP. <laughs> uh, Patches, you had another mini segment. No, what? Do, do not do oh, that. We're not, do- we're not, do- we're not doing three. yours? Oh, segment okay. Segment three. <laughs> it's not a secret fourth segment. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone in America watched the succession finale on Sunday night. I think that is a, uh, a technical term. Does, uh, Matt Patches is here to the, tell you. Half the viewership of, uh, of uh, young Sheldon. So sure. Yeah. Uh, Listen, I don't know. It, 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 Look it up the viewership of young Sheldon. Millions more tweets per minute than the finale. The succession of finale did the highest in its, in its time on television with 2.9 million viewers. What do you think young Sheldon does on a on a Wednesday night? Well, but that's just that's just terrestrial cable people watching Sunday night. The actual number is around ten million, and all said and done, for fairness, you're out uh, of Young Sheldon. You're out of control. No, of, that ten million people of succession. succession. No, you're absolutely incorrect. These succession numbers are not patches. Patches. The, patches. The, I just told season, you the numbers. The season the number four was average 2. viewers. Nine million for terrestrial viewing. It is going to be ten million when you factor in all the numbers. The average for the season was eight point seven million viewers per I'm, episode. I want to know if Young Sheldon is so at think sixteen. It's absolutely crazy to say the series finale. Of young the show, Sheldon the does seven episode. million the night of. Okay. Young I'm, Sheldon. Yeah, because everyone watches it the oh night God, of. We're talking nope. about two different things. Young Sheldon is must see TV. Jesus Christ. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to refocus this. Succession I is important the, in its own way. I, I'm, glad, I I'm glad that the listeners at home will clearly be able to follow what just happened and understand how inane Patches was being. But anyway, okay, okay. Here we go. I hear it was good. Right, guys? Did you guys it, both enjoy the Succession finale? It was good. I mean, as someone who, you know, as, as is my God-given right as an American who has to be on the internet by dint of the nature of my profession and addiction, uh, I, you know, maintain the right to be annoyed at the Succession discourse. Um, the fact that like any, like it's just the show, you know, Patches talking about how low the ratings are, but the problem is that every single person on Twitter who has 215,000 tweets to their name, uh, has to live tweet every single fucking line of the show and always has. Um, and definitely not true, is, but you know, you, you can, cut, you can cut yourself free from these dopes whenever you want. You can, but they are there. I mean, it's they are there. true that they're there and, and they are uh, particularly vociferous around the show. Um, and that's fine. I mean, it's a testament to the show. Um, but it's anyway, I say this as someone who has always thought that the succession has been a, a very, very good show, but that the love around it has been a little bit grating at times. Um, if you don't want to go all in on participating in it, with all those qualifiers aside, I thought the series finale was absolutely outstanding. Um, and, uh, you know, was a, was a real, was really worth the chatter around the show. Um, and it's sort of, the reputation that it accrued over the last four years 
uh, and I think it was. It yeah, um, it was a, it was it was worth the trip. I I haven't watched the season one, but did Vince make the movie? Or... So he, so no, so like my big, one of my problems with Succession, I mean, I don't have many of them, and this is, when I say problem, that's probably overstating it, but like, yeah, I mean, the show could sometimes, it was really, it was a character drama, I mean, obviously, you know, what's happening with the Gojo deal or anything else is usually secondary or tertiary to the main concern of the show, um, but HBO has sort of cursed themselves with the, is the movie, the movie's on, the movie's off. You know, it's a Silicon Valley problem. It's a I'm sitcom. It's, a it's just problem. a sitcom. That's uh, all. It is structured like a sitcom in many ways. Yeah. I mean, sitcom cut with, you know, opera cut with King Lear. Uh, but no, but sure. like the whole of the movies on the movies off. That was not a sitcom trope. That was sort of unique to having to drag a pencil thin premise over the course of like, you know, six seasons in a movie or seven, whatever the fuck long uh, Entourage was. Um, and community. Yeah, but Entourage actually made it with the actual movie. Community, I think you're still waiting. I don't know. I don't follow Community. Community, um, no, but that's, you're incorrect. Didn't happen. Did it happen? Did the Community movie happen? No, it is happening. It is happening. I don't is, know about the writer strike, but is it's, it? I mean, Peacock put an email out that said we're making a Community movie. So, well, oh, Peacock, everyone it. knows that if Peacock puts an email, it's Peacock everything Peacock says happens. Yeah, I mean, like that, that could be an issue. The characters, you know, and particularly like the, the, the characterizations and how brilliantly the actors playing them became them were always so rich, you know, pun somewhat intended, that it didn't really matter what the plot was doing. Um, you know, and I think that they, the writing was masterful enough in its progression, particularly in the way that it relied on cycles, you know, cycles of behavior, generational cycles. But also cycles in the, that it sort of applied those things to the business world. I think it got away with a lot of circling the drain, um, and yeah. so I didn't really mind that too much. I do think they made the right decision to end it now, rather than I think you may have start to feel the pull um, in another season. But yep. uh, yeah, I mean the way that they ended the show really did make it feel. Um, you know, they really did a strong job of you know, partially just sticking the landing, but also you know, doing a little reverse engineering to make it feel like every beat was leading to this. And it was very self-contained. It was very circular in its way, continuing the tradition of the show. Um, Did it make it feel you, like every beat? Yeah. That, that's interesting because it felt like the bright ending for that point of the story, but there wasn't any sense of like, ah, yes, now I understand that season one storyline. Like it didn't seem interested well, in that. No, I mean, it's not that show, although they did in, in referencing the Volter guy, which is yeah. a pilot issue. Um, you know, that is, yeah. uh, that He's is still one of on the, the board somehow. We forgot all about him. Yeah, I mean, it did feel like there was a little bit of that, a little sweaty, uh, you know, we're looping it all the way back around and making sure there's no loose fat um that, that was a nice touch uh no but it's never been a show about like who, you know and this is the, a lot of the talking points on the internet you know among the people who make it their job to know the right way to read succession would have you believe accurately uh that it really isn't a show about who wins although who i think these people who finale... haunt your timeline it just seems like such a miserable experience for you i feel so I bad mean, I, what I are the takes equally, you're describing i don't i don't see this like where are people equally going amazed off on- at the idea that you can follow any sort of like have any sort of like media literate existence in in this day and age and not have your feed entirely dominated by these people all the time. Um, I yeah, I mean, I'm mystified by that. This has been just about everybody I know. And I think, you know, I understand where they're coming from. Um, but the uh, I mean, it's a sh- yeah, I mean, it's like, as I said, 
online on Twitter appropriately after the finale ratings came in. It's like, yeah, maybe only 2.9 million people watched it when it aired, but all of them wrote a think piece, uh, you know, and I read half of them. But the, mm-hmm. I think the brilliant thing that the series finale did, Katie, to answer your question, is that it, it I don't want to say it reframed because this was always the case, but it definitely reclarified. And I saw someone frame it this way on Twitter today. I wish I could remember who it was. That it was never a show about which of the kids was going to win. It was always a show about, I think it was me, Mark Harris, who was saying it was always a show about whether or not Kendall was going to inherit the company. Mm. Kendall was the protagonist of the show. He always was. There are all the characters around him were all fascinating and pulled attention in their own ways. But I think what the finale did, particularly in its closing moments, and really in the whole arc of the episode, um, as, as anyone who's seen it would know all too well, the most cringeworthy crushing of ways uh, that it really did all sort of rest on Kendall's shoulders as the eldest boy. Uh, and he is the eldest that, boy. Yeah. So he and like, I think they really, um, and when you, and you know, I immediately, as I, it's like, you'll never see someone younger in your entire life than when you rewatch the pilot of an episode immediately after watching the series finale. <laughs> it is a trick of time. Unlike any, as the human brain just cannot process it. If you watch the start of Mad Men now, yes, John Hamm looks young. They all look young. If you watch all seven seasons and then flip it right back over to the start, they look like negative numbers. I mean, it, it's fucking crazy. Uh, and that was my feeling of watching. Yeah, this show is only four or five years old. I mean, I guess they started shooting, what, seven years ago? And they, they started shot, they shooting they... the uh, day after the 2016 election. Right. So set almost We were years all old. so young then. But Jeremy Strong looks, you know, I mean, his character appropriately. I mean, it's like Obama aging over the course of his time in the White House. I mean, like he he really looks a lot younger, but it's it's crazy. But um, yeah, it's all it's all there. Uh, I thought the ending was was brilliant and kind of unassailable and um, really, you know, yeah, it gave it gave it gave a lot of I don't know, fan theory, fan uh, service is a dirty word, um, but it definitely made sure that every one of the characters got a fitting farewell. And I just have to say, and I really do want to pass the baton to Katie, that I, I was doing like chef's kisses at my television, uh, fully put down Marvel Snap and was completely wow. locked and loaded when wow. I was watching uh, at the beat where Tom puts the sticker on Greg's head, just because it was such an elegantly satisfying bit of, pay, of setup and payoff. where they That was that like entire... a sitcom structure, right? They, set, I mean, they lay very... your breadcrumb and you don't know what's going to come back. And then there it, it is. is. It was impressive. But it's rare to find a sitcom. Certainly no episode of Young Sheldon. None of the zero episodes of Young Sheldon that I've ever sat through have been able to do. Why is calling well, it a, a sitcom where... like skeleton? Uh, uh, why is that a pejorative? No, I'm using, why is, it, I'm I using it as a compliment. Why... Yeah, I don't, I I don't know that, why David is so resistant to the idea that it could be a dramatic sitcom. I don't that seems like a, a, I'm, a win. I'm not resistant to that idea at all. I would just love to see a sitcom that did any of these tropes as well. Because <laughs> um, I think it's only it's only uh, denigrating because most sitcoms are so bad in comparison. But, uh, you know, watching the way that they let the... Like, anyone can leave breadcrumbs and set up something that pays off later. But the way that they set this up with Connor, the most sitcom-y of characters, you know, aside from Greg in the show, um, with putting the stickers on things in the apartment doing it in the most succession of ways and then have the payoff. And I think what's interesting about it and what separates it from sitcom actually patches is that while the payoff is funny, it does feel like it belongs to sort of a different genre than the setup, which is not something you get in sitcoms. This, the setup in this case mm. was like a, a dramatically inflected bit of comedy 
And the payoff, and you haven't seen this episode, so, you know. Uh, the payoff was kind of a uh, comedically inflicted or inflicted bit of drama. Um, and it's like the perfect final beat for these two, you know, frickin' frack characters that have been taking the piss out of each other, or really one person just beating the shit out of the other, um, and now going to be doing it in perpetuity uh, at a much higher pay grade, at least for one of them, um, in the future. And it just, I thought it was such a, a perfect, and it has that, that, lizard brain like satisfaction that the sitcom setup and payoff gives you but with extraordinary sort of depth yeah. and, and meaning and i mean it, jesse yeah. armstrong has a history of i mean i love peep show and all, everything you're describing here is basically peep show but peep show will always go back to the joke will always be comedy um and and why i probably fell off succession is the reason uh, you love it which is it just kept going barreling forward into the tragedy like it, it wasn't going to give you the punchline it was going to punch you in the face um and and i guess i couldn't handle it maybe i'll go back maybe i should go back to succession why did i you ended after season, on season one two? yeah i mean i watched like half a season two and i was like i don't yeah, know if i can I watch mean, these people just yelling out the same thing every day and, and being miserable rich people like i just couldn't get I, into it i don't know exactly why I think the weekly watch and the spanning over seasons made me forget about the plot not ever moving forward because I enjoy spending time with them. Like, I, you know, one of the best episodes is them at Turnhaven where Tom Momskin says, uh, King of Edible Leaves, His Majesty the Spinach, which is the funniest thing anyone's ever said on television as far as I'm concerned. But like the plot of that episode is them trying to meet with this family to buy their media empire. They don't do it and it falls apart. And like, I think if those mechanics can fall away if you were kind of enjoying this at come like this week everyone's at the conference this week they're at the wedding yeah. like the show finds an excuse to put them all in the same place which is where the power maybe of the language and these characters together maybe I, I don't think succession is a week. good binge watch yeah, um, yeah it is because every episode is in its way same ish uh, and i was never yeah. less interested than when they were meeting with uh one of those fucking people from earlier this season with uh not the Pierces. Jones, the Pier, yeah, the Pierces. The Pierces. Oh, wait, that's, that's no, come on. The Pierces are amazing. But like, no, who but cares like if the they whole, buy the yeah, Pierce yeah, Empire? Exactly, who cares? Exactly. And I'm like, you know, who, like, what is that going to mean for the, like, who cares? Um, but Although the them and stuff, the, um, no, what was the thing? That the, the hundreds? The hundred? The hundred They're like was, fake puck know. news thing. That was perfect because it just made We're fun exactly, of things that we know about. Show, this is a show made for the people with 200,000 tweets to their name who are, um, <laughs> who are tweeting about every moment of the show and are that sort of media obsessed. I mean, like it knows its audience and it plays them like a fiddle and I love it for mm -hmm. that. Um, but, you know, the, we, everyone, everyone who watches Succession writes about Succession and everyone who writes about Succession felt seen by the hundred and the entire pitch um as uh they felt attacked by or they felt like the hundred was making fun of the, the people season. that they hate personally sure. which was where it worked for me why yeah, i follow I mean, like, too many young like, geniuses it, and they're all tweeting about young sheldon this is my this is my problem my twitter this is your problem is, is not well curated it's all these boy geniuses i gotta unfollow mm, that's kind of you're gonna get um, on the watch list for that i also yeah patches you're revealing more than you mean i said to, you're on follow i'm sorry um but the uh you know i think for me it was just like i hadn't really seen and, you know, there's there's more TV that I can wrap my head around right now, but I hadn't really seen since Mad Men characters that were this sort of um, prickly and and nuanced and, um, you know, there are so many layers to their to their neuroses and, and their their pain sponginess and their toxicity. Uh, and like Tom Wamsgames is my favorite character in the show by leaps and bounds. 
um, just because I, I, you know, not since Pete Campbell had there really been, and he's mm. a very different brand of striver, but like that same sort of unctuousness, uh, you know, it takes a very different form here, but I just love his role as one of the outsiders of his family and, you know, trying to climb the ladder, negotiating that with his feelings, you know, as complicated as they are with Shiv um, and the way that that ultimately climaxes, I, you know, over the course of season four, I thought was, was brilliant. Um, his relationship with Greg is not just sort of a side dish to that, but like a perfect compliment that really brings it all into focus. It's his, his own personal pain sponge, the output that he needs in order to sort of eat all the shit that he does every day. Um, I, I just love that character and uh, it was really the character stuff that I, Got the most out of it, which is why I also think the show was never better than it was after, uh, spoiler alert, Patches, uh, Logan Roy died. Because I think he Did you hear about that one, Patches? Did you spend enough time on Twitter to know that that happened? I am part of media, so I do actually know everything that happened to the Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that that was very freeing for the show. It allowed it to be in the scramble that followed towards like who was going to succeed. This is now an imminent thing that's happening. It ironically allowed it to return to character in an even more urgent way, um, even as the plot wheels returning. So I really yeah. like season four. Kendall Roy is who I'll be thinking about forever. I love him. I feel bad for him. I want the best for him. I understand when he you is a terrible person. When you come to New York in a couple of weeks, do you, are you going to walk down by the yeah, Statue of Liberty? Yeah, that's very close, to, that very close to my office. And yeah, see if I can uh, protect Kendall at all costs. He might um, still be there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, the, the uh, Carl, the guard, like wouldn't let him jump into the water. Colin. Colin. Um, Carl's the other guy. Yeah, Carl's the other one. Uh, no, I've been thinking about Mad Men, too. I'm just thinking about like a an ensemble full of so many characters that felt so like alive and like they would can just continue to exist once the show is over, which I don't think a lot of shows do. Um, so maybe I'll just rewatch Mad Men. We should move on to another show. There's a lot of TV shows ending right now. Did you, watch, did you watch? Um, did anyone else? Anyone? Yeah, watch? I was going to say. I haven't Barry? gotten to Barry yet because I was uh, out of town for Memorial Day weekend, like a true American, and uh, had a really hard time with all these finales airing in the middle of a holiday weekend. It sucked. <laughs> this is the ultimate. But I know weekend what happens of, on Barry. Uh, stuff I just gave up on. Barry, another show. You I gave just up on Barry? Not click with, and um, I, I'm one. I want. I'm waiting for someone about this season to like drag me back into it. I, I I'm just like, is it? funny is it dramatic is it boring Barry? why yeah, do people like man, it's, Barry? it's like zelda man it can be anything you want <laughs> can i glue boards <laughs> to another berry in berry dave dave seems yeah. like someone dave, who would be you know right in berry's bullseye I'm 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 waiting for season three of berry to do it all at once and was also on vacation this weekend i more made a noise that patches your first response to thing is what box do I put this show in? And I'm not mm. sure that's a healthy way to approach television. Yes. I, I, I mean, that. I would normally agree, and I feel like my heart is open to, to movies more in this way. I just, I guess I, 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 I find that these, these HBO dramas that are drifting between, they get, they get really repetitive to me. That Like, if they can't find a groove, I, I, look, I think Better Call Saul is is in the middle of genres is in the middle of tones and and kind of does it all we've exalted that show on on the podcast before but like i found the rhythm there i get the characters i feel like i see them drilling down and experimenting with every episode barry felt like an indie 
Duplass drama to me, and I was just a non oh. bored. Like I, I felt like I was watching. Barry's a lot more stylish than that. Barry is. Uh... Barry would never be confused for Duplass. Get me movie. on board I with Barry. I'm ready to be on board with Barry. I mean, I I, I, this is not going. even a. This is not even me trying to sell you. I mean, objectively, as any human with eyes watching it, you would see that there's absolutely no relationship to the Duplass brothers. I think it starts in definitely a lighter, looser vein, and it ends in a much more hyper stylized, uh, sort of uh, tonally ambiguous way. The last season, at least judging by the cable credits that Bill Hader supplied for every episode, um, you know, let alone the episodes themselves, is definitely you're cheating more towards something like Twin Peaks: The Return. Yeah. Um, and certainly what happens over the course of the last like four episodes of the show would would suggest that in, in tone that, and feeling. That's um, intriguing. I'm, I'm, I don't get that from season one where I kind of drift. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the filmmaking on Barry just escalates more and more over the course of the show. Like you get the, I mean, Bill had directed every episode of the final season. Like it is a real like. I'm not gonna say it's no tourist uh, work because that sounds like an asshole, but yeah, I, oh, okay. I mean, I don't know for his life, I don't know, but like it is a cohesive whole in terms of its visuals and style and goals. And I haven't seen Katie, the final you, episode yet. Oh, you haven't seen the final episode? No. I mean, I the th- the fourth season definitely um, it takes some big swings to say the least, and uh, it really um, you know as, I saw a number of people complaining about it. it in some more obvious ways, kind of jettisons the comedy. There are definitely funny things, but I think, and the humor is just kind of of a different kind. Uh, it, it is uh, more of like a uh, rueful smirk as things become <laughs> heavier and darker, and and Barry's sort of moral uh, depravity begins to catch up with him in an even more dramatic way than it has in any of the three previous seasons. Just saying something, but the yeah. darkness and what he's done um, really begins to weigh heavily. Um, and like, you know, uh, it's a real bummer. Yeah, I mean, like, I, that's, funniest, I, that's part of why I haven't yeah. gotten to the finale yet is like, it is not, it's not really a company in any but way at this point. I will say that I, you know, and the, yeah, so the fourth, the fourth season the I was, the, the fourth season I was a bit in and out on, um, as much as I admired some of the stylistic choices that Bill Hader made, um, his obvious command behind the camera, you know, that's been clear in any of the episodes that he's directed. Um, there's a great Guillermo del Toro cameo in the third episode of the fourth season. There so is. That's what checking wow. out. Stephen Root is just doing. Up? I mean, I wish. Uh, Stephen Stephen Root is just doing all time Stephen Root behavior. Um, but the sound. he was final... my favorite part of season one too. He's amazing. Yeah, on he, the is, show. he is a great. He, he has a great amazing. turn in the fourth season. Uh, becomes it becomes becomes amazing in different ways and sort of you know, plays into the protean nature of the show. But I think that the the final five minutes or 10 minutes of the, of the final episode um, are kind of perfect for how they bring the entire arc um, stylistically, morally uh, of the show together. And they, they sort of make narrative sense of that long transition from the looser, lighter style of the first season to where we end up in the fourth um, and sort of ended on the perfect grace note. It doesn't, you know, entirely, I mean, like it, it makes up for a lot of the herky jerky quality of the fourth season. I, w- I don't think that the show, I know people swear by it. Um, I do think that is a better binge than it is a weekly watch because I think the wait between seasons really deflated my interest in Barry. Um, and it, it would take me like, it took me most of the fourth season to sort of like get back to where I was. After binge watching the first three, well, it was off for like three years. Like the pandemic, yeah. really, and then the last, the third and fourth seasons premiered like a year apart. It was a strange cadence. 
Yeah, and it was just, it was hard to get back into because it has such a particular tone and it's, you know, the third and fourth season are really this one sort of coherent thing and to sort of drop in midway after not having watched it for so long, you know, that's on me more than it is on the show itself, but it is also true to how people are watching it. It'll be different if Batches starts watching it now. Um, But I I don't know what the show's staying power is going to be for me other than, again, some very memorable characters, but I didn't... Yeah, it didn't. It it sort of bounced right off me at the end as much as I was impressed by it and enjoyed it and didn't regret the time I spent watching the episodes. Um, but Succession, you know, definitely got under my skin at a deeper level. No. Well, <laughs> I have two things to contribute. OK, you're also One, watching television. I'm also watching television, just different television. One is something that I, don't, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but you guys have kids, so maybe it's something that you guys can loop around to. Uh, Muppets Mayhem on Disney Plus, <laughs> is the, the show about the band, is actually much more Muppet movie-ish than the original Muppet movie-ish that I thought it was going to be. We'll have the legacy like, you're of even watching, <laughs> You're even watching more kids content than I am. I mean, like, what... <laughs> What don't you do? <laughs> well, it was funny because uh, the reason I got there is it was recommended to me because I've been watching so much Bluey and I've been watching so much Bluey because I've been looking at the Bluey Reddit and ever, everybody's talking about the new season three episodes in Australia. You've and been I can't looking at the Bluey Reddit. I mean, I'm yeah. just in awe now, but yes, sorry. You've ascended <laughs> for me. Uh, if you, um, I, I, I don't want to, we don't have to go into details because it's a Muppet series, but. This is probably the most successful Muppet series of the Disney era. It's about uh, the Electric Mayhem, the band, uh, and the Muppets. Uh, It turns out they sign a record contract and then never stop going on tour. So as the label's about to uh, shut down, uh, one of the assistants unearths the contract and realizes the Electric Mayhem owes the label an album. So she decides to produce the album. Uh, The Mayhem are very against that. But... It's also, they've been doing it, you know, since the 70s, and uh, this brings them into the modern age. There's an episode where um, they find uh, a guy who's going to help them make their album, and he just takes samples of them and then runs it through an AI, and Animal's like, why am I even here if AI could do that? Like, these, these sorts of things. They're, they they discover a recording studio underneath the place they've been living, and Cheech and Chong have been down there for like twenty years. Uh, there's like little Wait. jokes like that, uh, but then also they're the Muppets. So even if you, you you know are kids who don't know who Cheech and Chong and Kevin Smith and Charlemagne the God are, uh, you you know you got your Minecraft references and you got some Muppets. So I think it it actually ended up working out. Well, the thing I should probably talk about in terms of this end of Spring TV, because that one sort of binge dropped, uh, was uh, uh, I watched the end of Yellow Jacket season two. Um, it's Which I also haven't gotten to, despite having watched most of the of. rest of the yeah. season. Why yeah. can't I stick I, with I, any of these shows? I just am, I don't think you're alone I, on Yellow Jacket. I'm with, I'm with Patches on this one. That was the kind of show that I enjoyed the first season immensely. And yet the moment the first season was over, I was just like. I, I don't think I'm ever I coming three back. Episodes like, it just seemed, of season two. I just like felt like it nothing just seemed was like happening. the kind of season that the kind of series that was destined to spin off the the track in the second season, and I liked it too much to watch. But that I'm happen. not even sure 
early on it spins off the track it just like it's right on the track just kind of slowly chugging along uh dave did it did it dave watched the whole thing the let track? him talk yeah i, I, I did him um i i think it was a well-constructed season uh i think maybe they should have extended it to a full 10 episodes because a lot of things happen and uh sometimes we skip between major events uh in the past uh like this season they've developed the hunting game uh as to who they're going to figure out who they're going to eat and a lot of that was sort of done off screen and then we found it uh i do think they knew where they were going i just don't think they necessarily knew, knew how to effectively time it so mm. it does feel a little bit I mean, maybe not the best week to compare something to Lost, but it does feel a little <laughs> bit like Lost Season 2, where it's like they drilled down on what they thought was interesting, and it was sort of interesting, but it also uh, sagged in places uh, where it didn't need to. I'm still into it because uh, the show continues to make some dark choices, uh, and this is only the second season of, I think they planned four or five seasons, so we're like around the halfway point and where they're still managing to successfully balance uh the is this magical or not <laughs> i think but do you I think do that matters think, like does the level of supernatural feel like it matters by the end of the season by the end of this season yeah i think so i think the division because uh yeah yeah i I would like there to, if not supernatural, to be there be some sort of like other force that uh, has been working uh, uh, with or against the girls, depending on how much uh, you appreciate what's happening. But basically what the conclusion we've come to with the end of season two is if you sacrifice someone to the wilderness, good things happen. Mm. Uh, whether that's you get to eat or something else uh, that sort of recontextualizes it and at the end of season two we get some more uh bodies in both timelines so maybe that by sacrificing those people uh season three will be a, a little bit more direct here's the major problem that i could pinpoint with yellow jacket season two they're eroding the line between uh actually happened and fantasy uh and they aren't they don't there's not like a visual cue so at any given time that i'm watching something it could have happened or it could have been through someone's perspective or it could be somebody having a daydream mm. or it could be a dream. And That's sometimes, annoying. yeah. And sometimes you don't figure out in the same episode. So mm. it becomes very destabilizing. And also it, it, it loses the shock value when things happen because you're like, well, that probably didn't happen, did? And if it did, you've already in this weird narrative hole where you're like, well, wasn't that this person's motivation? So I think they're getting... A little uh jumbled but i don't think uh there's necessarily uh i don't think they killed the series they just ran into the problem that we all predicted after yellow jacket season one ended which is they had a great story they wrote it then everybody reacted and i think they listened a little bit too much to the reactions that happens uh, to to screw this all together but Hopefully they're listening now. Uh, they're out on the picket lines. Nothing's working on season three yet. So they still got some time to uh, turn this around when they get back in the room. And uh, I'm, I'm still in. I just don't think 
it is a mystery show like we thought it was. I think it's really trying to say something about trauma and accidentally have looped people into the question you had, Katie, which is, you know, does it matter if magical things are happening here or not? And the answer is sort of like, it shouldn't, but it might. Like, if they come out and they're like, there's a forest god, then I feel really weird about what they've been implying about mental health. And if they come out and they say, it's just mental health, then I have questions about, like, the bear that sacrificed himself in season one. So, I'm uh, looking forward to where they go, but instead of being on Tinder hooks like I was at the end of last season, I'm more like, I'll see you when I see you, Yellow Jackets. Yeah. It's hard for shows to sustain. Like, I realized they used to be on the air for 10 years and like that was how television worked. But like, I've been catching up with Tad Lasso ahead of the finale. I still haven't watched either. Um, This is the theme of this week. But like, sustaining that tone of like, everyone being nice and being a hangout, even that proved to be really difficult. It's, um, TV's hard. It's, it's Pay about writers. too much. I mean, yeah, the, the problem is 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they weren't trying to stay in long narratives they were just checking in with characters that you liked every once in a while so it's a totally different game but i agree with you katie you think, yeah. I'm, I'm standing in solidarity uh, and not communist is actually is actually helping it in that sense i mean yeah like isn't just just is it easier to just keep digging into characters rather than having to advance a plot as i alluded to in my uh lightning round question the other day about how there will be blood is like um talladega nights it's just all about bits <laughs> put your bits on screen i think succession <laughs> i mean hearing you all describe you in the later seasons like just put the fun parts on just do fun stuff with your characters uh ted lasso I mean, succession a, doesn't do fun stuff yeah but it, it puts sure. stuff it, that's extreme it puts stuff that entertains you it, you want to see the characters yeah get into wild situations and ted lasso overextended by being too about too much and having to like serve too many masters. It wasn't just funny. It wasn't just about the characters doing X, Y, and Z. It just felt like it always had to, to be about something more and, and be elevated. Um, whereas I think Succession seems to be pleasing people in the room who like it because it's just like, we're going to give you what you like about this show every week. And that is why it is sitcom-y. And maybe the better sitcom than Ted Lasso. That is well, a seems like that's what take they... from someone who hasn't seen <laughs> all of Succession. Did you watch all of Ted Lasso? Oh no, gave up on that hard. This season is awful. Yeah. It seems like they were trying to give people more of what they wanted, which is hour and 20 minute long episodes. But the it turns hell? out you cannot you do know that. You know what show is great? Long. Ghosts on CBS. 20 minute episodes <laughs> where I just love the characters? I'm watching every episode. I, think- um, I will say that, uh, you know, Lisa and I are, uh, I've been watching Platonic. You know, we, the idea of, Nicholas Stoller, who made Freddie Sarah Marshall and the Neighbors movies, reuniting with Neighbors stars Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne for anything, really. I mean, they could re- God, is that on Apple fucking barbecue right now? And we'd be there. Yes, um, it is uh, four episodes deep. It is so far fine. Oh. Um, but uh, but, you know, great hang just with those personalities, that energy. Um, love Rose Byrne uh, in, in everything, certainly in this mode um, and sort of like weary milf mode um if you will and or if you won't which would be fine um and seth rogan doing seth rogan in flashier clothing than usual uh but there was an episode uh, there was a reference in the episode we watched this week that aired i guess it aired that was uploaded last friday um that one of the characters is in the middle of watching the series finale of succession 
which was, mm. I thought, a very, a very uh, well-timed bit of synergy, or not even synergy, because they're, you know, playing different networks. But uh, anyway, there's something someone said like 15 minutes ago that made me think of that. Platonic. What? It's fun characters hanging. That's, that's what I got. It's TV. my ghost. Oh. There is a lot of TV. That was just the spring TV. Summer TV is coming up. Uh, usually it's a little bit more sparse. Maybe all four of us will watch the same show. Tune Probably in to Fighting not. in the War Room to find out. Oh, come on. Secret Invasion patches. You don't want to do six hours of Secret Invasion? You are we, wa- are we watching The Idol? Go. Oh, boy. I hope not. All right. We maybe, maybe we won't. We'll <laughs> see you again when TV's back. That does it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man. That's not what it's heard called. Heard of him? Across the Spider-Verse. That's what oh. it's called. Was the first one called Into the Spider-Verse? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, dear. They go into it, they go across it, and then they go beyond it. That'll be next year. Uh, great. <laughs> uh, we'll look forward to that. I'll learn the title of the movie. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. <laughs> I am Matt Patches, executive editor over Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. We have a website, fightingintheworroom.com. I think we talked about at least all of the television shows that we mentioned today uh, on the podcast in earlier iteration. I think we had the Succession is a sitcom talk mildly before um, when I was actually in the loop on it. So uh, go back and listen to the more informed opinion of me. Uh, fightingintheworroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a film critic over at IndieWire. You can find me. At David Ehrlich on Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Letterboxd. The David Ehrlich there is an imposter. Um, <laughs> be meeting to get something done about that. You can find all of us together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. If you're not in the United States or if you simply hate using the iTunes store or whatever it's called right now, and I don't blame you for that, you can reach us via email. Dave, can you tell us how they can do that? Well, you can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez, but my first name is DA7E, where you can find me on Twitter. You can also pre-order my book about the Marvel Cinematic Universe at themcubook.com. Two whole Spider-Man chapters. I was very happy that I convinced my co-authors to name the second one uh, The Clone Saga, because I still have a soft spot in my heart for that piece of trash. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast. We're, we're doing our Pride Flashback Month for the month of June. And this week we talked about Shanghai Express with Marlena Dietrich. It's a great movie. It's on the Criterion channel. Had a great time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. I will hear all of your Hardy Boys recommendations. Or you can answer, uh, you can tweet at all of us at F-I-T-W-R. Or you can also give Hardy Boys recommendations. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Across the Spider-Verse in theaters this week, what's your favorite food to have at a cookout? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.